please join me in a time of prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, I'd like to begin this morning with a confession. Sometimes I think that I would have been a better lawyer than a preacher. Now, when I was young, <laughs> when I was young, my mother was convinced that I was going to be a lawyer because I loved to argue with her. I was tenacious, relentless, and often she would think that we had settled a matter because I had gone off to my room to play my Super Nintendo or to listen to my music and she was sure that I had moved on to something else. And then a few hours later, I was back and I had a new argument and I had new questions and I had a new spin on what my mother was sure was a dead horse that had already beaten very far down into the ground. But I was not done. And so it's this love of an argument, right, that attracts me so much to the book of Romans. And now you're going to hear why I ended up becoming a preacher, because when I was, you know, in sixth grade, I was having discussions about the book of Romans with my dad after I, you know, heard a sermon in the morning, and then I'd, like, go home and tell him about it. So... The book of Romans has always been my favorite book of the Bible, even and starting when I was a teenager. So much of the Bible, right, is, is a story. It's storytelling. And that's great, and I love it. The stories are powerful and captivating, of course. But at a certain point in our faith lives, right, we all ask ourselves this question and we wrestle with, but how do I know it's? true. And for me, as a teenager, it was the book of Romans. It was the book of Romans that convinced me, this, this is true. This is real. This is, this is God's truth. And particularly, it was Romans chapter 7, verse 15, which says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Think about that as a teenager, right? At that time when, like, you know, you're growing and changing and all this stuff is happening and you're fighting with your parents even though you love them so much. And that verse, it just rings true. And I imagine that if any of you at all have any slightly perfectionistic tendencies in your personality, you probably also, right, hear that word and you're like, yes, this guy gets it, right? We want so much to be perfect and we just can't do it. Growing up in the Bible Belt, 
even as a Lutheran, right, even as a Lutheran, there was still a lot of this, the Bible says it, so that settles it, right? You know, all around me, there was, there was that. And so as a teenager, as a teenager who loved to ask questions and argue and play devil's advocate, I absolutely loved the book of Romans. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think that I fully grasped the book of Romans as a teenager. In fact, I'm pretty sure I don't fully grasp the book of Romans today, even with a master of divinity. And I still, every time I read it, I have to go slowly, line by line, and make sure that I'm really understanding and parsing out what Paul is saying. But what I love about it, and this relates so much to what Kai was just saying, what I love about it is that Paul is engaging with what the gospel means for our real life. It's not just, he's not just saying what the gospel is, but he's engaging with why does it matter and what does it look like in our real lives every day. And even though Romans is a letter, right, which we think of as like a one-way communication device, in Romans, there's all this back and forth and back and forth. And it's almost like a conversation. It really is kind of a conversation that Paul is having with himself. And as good rhetoric does in all this back and forth, right, Paul actually anticipates our responses to things, right? So he makes a claim, and then he basically says, now I know what you're thinking. And then he says, let me tell you this. And it's so compelling because he is really trying to understand the questions that his audience is wrestling with. In Romans, and particularly in chapter 5 and in chapter 6, Paul isn't just telling us. He isn't just saying Jesus did this great thing. He's explaining why it matters and how it impacts our life. And he's linking the resurrection event to the hope that all of us have for the future. And he wrestles. He's wrestling with that timeless question, right? You can see it in today's reading. That question that we all ask about, well, if God loves me and God has saved me, why am I suffering? Why is this bad thing happening if I'm a good person and I'm trying to do the right thing? So just listen to some of today's verses. I've simplified them a little bit for dramatic effect. And to help you follow his argument a little bit better. Because we are justified, we have peace. And because we have peace, we can boast not only in glory, but also in suffering. And this is true because suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint. Why does hope not disappoint? How do we know? Because hope in Christ is trustworthy and true. It's unwavering. It's certain. And how do we know that? 
Because while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, that's how we know. That's how God chose to prove that this love is true. Because we know, right, our lived experience tells us that Paul is exactly right in this verse. That rarely would anyone die for another person. But that, yes, for a righteous or for an innocent person, someone might dare to die. But that's not what Christ did. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. The crucifixion did not happen because God was a vengeful God that demands a sacrificial lamb. The crucifixion happened because we humans were and are still sometimes slaves to sin. That's what Paul's getting at in chapter 7 when he's talking about we cannot do the good that we want to do and instead we do the evil we do not want to do. Pontius Pilate, right, is the best example of this. He doesn't want to put Jesus to death. He tries to get out of it. He tries to wash his hands of it, but he's backed into a corner. And then he literally says, I find no case against him. And yet he puts Jesus' fate in the hands of this angry mob. While we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For me, this verse from today's reading is one of the clearest articulations of the gospel in all of scripture. It takes a lot of back and forth to get there, right? You have to, you have to roll with Paul for a while before he, he gets there. But when he does, at least for me, it was this light bulb moment of clarity. This isn't up to me. No amount of hard work and dedication is going to earn me this love. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Instead, instead of earning God's love, it's through trials and tribulations and sufferings, not ones that... God wants for us, but ones that come because the world around us is still enslaved to sin. Through suffering, our character will evolve and change and grow. And throughout our journeys with Christ, thanks to the Holy Spirit that was poured into us at our baptisms, that peace that Christ gives will produce greater and greater and greater amounts of hope. And hope does not disappoint. Hope does not disappoint because the battle is over and the victory has been won. Thanks be to God. And that's why we can wait in hope, groaning with all of creation for while we wait for the whole world to be fully reconciled with its creator. And now, my friends, it's time for my second confession. 
of the morning. My second confession is that this week as I revisited these words, I was reminded once again of how much I needed to hear them myself. I was reminded of all the ways that I show up in the world without hope sometimes and how often then the results of whatever interaction it is, it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? When I don't approach it with the hope and the peace of Christ. I was reminded of all the ways that still... I try to make myself seem perfect and respectable and orderly and righteous in order to be worthy of this thing that God is already going to give me, that God does give me each and every day, new, every morning. Brothers and sisters, hope, hope is not easy, right? Nor is hope the same as just approaching the world with a sunny, positive attitude, right? Much like my, much like the lawyer my mom thought that I would be, hope is gritty and tenacious. And honestly, hope has more of a hold on us than we have a hold on it, much like grace. It fights day and night for us to recognize it, and it surprises us again and again, no matter how much we should know to expect it by now. I suppose preachers have probably been saying this for 2,000 years, but I can promise you that I believe it. The world needs hope now more than ever. Your neighbor needs hope. Your coworker needs hope. Someone in your family or a close friend needs hope. Maybe even someone sitting beside you this morning at church or at Bible study or at the breakfast fellowship. They need hope. As Christians, we are called to be persistent agents of hope. And that comes by walking with people through sufferings, through trials, through tribulations, through, as Psalm 23 would say, the valley of the shadow of death. You won't always know what to say. You won't always know what to do. And that's okay. Because the Holy Spirit is with you. And hope never disappoints. Kai talked about the gospel reading and the sending out of the apostles. And at the end of the short version of the gospel reading today, Jesus says, You received without payment, give without payment. Go. Live in Christ's abundant and abiding hope for all those that you encounter need that witness in their lives.
Thanks be to God. Amen.